0: all this
1: Welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Rhyme mini shows where we talk about various artists' compilations, song by song. You can get access to these episodes six weeks early by signing up for a monthly donation at patreon.com discordpod, and we would love it. I'm Rich Bunnell, and I'm here with
2: Phil Maddox and Amanda Rogers.
1: And if you're on Twitter, reach out to us at discordpod, and you can also email feedback, comments, and just general music chit-chat to us at discordpod at gmail.com, and we would really love to hear from you. So we have finally, finally reached the final episode of Nuggets, original artifacts from the first psychedelic era, 1965 through 1968. It's been a very long journey, a very, very long kind of samey journey, but I've been enjoying it.
0: I've been enjoying it. I'm glad we're at the end here because I'm running out of ways to say this is some cool garage rock. So I'm looking forward to, you know, what we got on deck next.
2: Yeah, I am just about nuggets out, you guys. But anyway, this episode
1: will feature disc four tracks twenty-four through thirty. The very and before end. we start, <laughs> the very end. And by the way, we um before we start, we pride ourselves on doing our homework. But listener Zach B caught us not doing our homework about our homework. Back on <laughs> disc three, we referred to a ten-page history of the Balloon Farm. Who did a question of temperature? An amazing song, and we we said it was by quote, a guy named Mike Stacks. Well, Mike Stacks is the editor of Ugly Things, a long running music zine that included deep dives into a bunch of Nuggets bands. And he in fact wrote the liner notes for this box set. So we really dropped the ball there. Uh, The world of music zines is honestly something we're just starting to learn about. And thank you, Zach, for stepping in there. And And by the way, he has his own podcast called Random Old Records that you should listen to.
0: Yeah, definitely check that
1: out. So let's get started with the final batch, shall we?
0: It's the final countdown <laughs> do, 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 do.
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's the next do, song do. we're going to be listening to Where's Joe Blues? <laughs> so we're going to start with track 24 This is The Rumors with Hold Me Now Oh, wrong one.
2: (laughs) The rumors are from Los Angeles, and they released Hold Me Now in 1965. There is not a whole lot of information out there about these guys. They're not on Wikipedia at all. So did they even exist?
1: I heard a rumor that they exist.
2: (laughs) I did find an interview with their drummer, Norm Prinsky, which was published on psychedelic.com, C-I-C-A-D-E-L-I-C. I don't know if that's supposed to be some sort of a pun or if they just didn't know how to spell psychedelic. And this interview was published entirely in Comic Sans, so you know it's legit. The only legitimate font. It's true. That's how you know this is super serious business. Other members of the band included Larry Cher, Ben Turner, and, quote, the two Mikes, whose last names Prinsky wasn't able to remember. DeFabia? That's probably one of them. We should check and make sure.
0: Any relation yeah. to the band of Dan's? Dan Watkins? That's a, that's a little <laughs> shout out for our BMIB Giants fans listening to us.
1: Okay. Oh, I may mean they might be Giants fan.
2: <laughs> Anyhow, this interview is hilariously self-aggrandizing. He he is a very big deal. And he makes it a point at one time to say that they would have played on Sunset Strip with the Birds if their single had made the top 20. But it didn't. But they were so close.
0: I could say the same thing. Like, if I had a single that made the top 20 in the late 60s, I could have played on Sunset Strip with the Birds. You could But have. I didn't.
2: Yeah. And that makes you an extremely important person, Phil. I agree. So, the band formed at some point in the early to mid-1960s, recorded Hold Me Now in 1965. Prinsky claims that they did not have a B-side prepared, which astonished him. So, he just real quick wrote and arranged one right there in the studio. And it was called Without Her. Now, according to him, it was so good that Sonny and Cher's producers were amazed the two songs were by the same band, because the B-side was just so much better than the A-side. And they wanted to re-release it as its own A-side. But Prinsky refused, you see, because he was a hard rocker, and the production team wanted to put orchestral effects on it. I listened to it today, and it was solidly okay, but I could not help noticing that the 45 in the picture on YouTube had it credited to somebody called Richards, which is not Prinsky so who knows what this guy's on about and then the rumors broke up in 1968 because prinsky had to go to grad school at yale because he is so smart you guys
0: it's a real milo goes to college situation that's for all our descendants fans in the audience
2: so hold me now not as good as the thompson twin songs of the same name but it's not bad there is an identifiable chord progression that doesn't seem to be the Gloria one, so I mean, props for that, I guess. And if you listen real close, there's a little bit of what sounds like a Farfisa organ underneath those grimy guitars. And I guess that's interesting. And the guitar solo is good. I mean, it's not my favorite nugget, but it's all right.
1: Well, to me, the chord progression, it's the Louis Louis progression. I think that's what you're thinking of. Probably. Yeah. Uh, well, I get, because I was going to say, I dig this song all right, but it's also, it's a. It's also kind of the end boss of nuggets for me in terms of trying to figure out something to say about yeah. this particular song that shares so many elements with so many other ones that we've heard. So it kind of sent me down an internet rabbit hole, like trying to find something, anything to say about it. And, and I found a pretty cool chapter of a book all about the various mutations that the Louis Louie rip went through over the course over the course of the '60s. Like it was, it was everywhere.
2: That does sound interesting.
1: Yeah, it, it, for example, there's uh, Sherry by The Four Seasons. There's The Bridge of You've Lost That Love and Feelin' by The Righteous Brothers. Um, there's My Girl oh. Sloopy by The Yardbirds. And the more famous version, Hang On Sloopy by The McCoys. Uh, and of course, I guess if you go forward to the 70s, Summer Nights from Greece.
0: Oh, it Plastic is. Plastic People by Frank Zappa and The Mothers of Invention.
1: Yeah, though that's like more explicitly a Louis Louis parody. Yeah, that's isn't a parody. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I don't actually have much to say about the rumor song itself, but it's part of a much larger tradition of ripping off this one chord progression.
0: This is what I'm talking about when I say, like, I'm glad we're at the end of Nuggets, because, like, this song sounds great while it's playing, and I definitely dig it. Like, I can headbang to it plenty, but, like, what the hell am I going to say about this? Yeah. Like, that I haven't said about, like, a million other Nuggets. It's a solid garage rocker based on the Louis Louie chord progression. Like, how much can I say about this? I'm not getting paid enough to say, like, more than two sentences about this.
1: Well, if, well, Norm Prinsky, if you have any other interesting information about this and you listen to us, please come, please write in and tell us.
2: And I'm sorry I was so mean to you. You are a big <laughs> deal, Norm Prinsky.
1: He is. Okay, well, if we're done with, if we're done talking about that song, um, that very, very distinctive song, let's go on to track 25. This is the underdogs with Love's Gone Mad.
0: Here they come to save the day. <laughs> Isn't that Mighty Mouse. Yeah, it's Mighty Mouse, and I messed up because I thought it was Underdog. <laughs>
2: underdog.
0: I'm ashamed that my cartoon knowledge fell down there.
2: You should be. I'm
1: feeling sad because love's gone bad. I see a rainbow. Love's Gone Mad by the Underdogs was released in 1966, and it hit number 122 on the Hot 100, and you know what that means. Bubbling under! Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. The Underdogs were from Gross Point, Michigan. They were particularly associated with the Hideout Club in nearby Harperwood, to the point where they even had a B-side that was called Judy B. Mine, parentheses, Friday at the Hideout, close parentheses. The hideout was intended as a place for teens to hang out and was, in fact, originally going to be called the library, so teens could tell their parents they were going to the library on Friday night.
2: Yeah, because that's believable. It's nine o'clock on a Friday. I'm going to the library, Mom.
1: I actually went to the Ann Arbor District Library on a Friday night, and I was kind of inebriated at the time, and I ran into my grad school advisor. It was really awkward. <laughs> anyway, the club was pivotal to the emerging Detroit rock scene, and it hosted shows by Bob Seger, the MC5, the Pleasure Seekers, and Glenn Fry. Go them. So the club is long closed and is now the site of an educational services nonprofit, which is way, way less depressing than if I had found out that it was now a bank, a cupcake shop, or like a Bitcoin ATM or something. I'll hear nothing bad about the premise of a cupcake shop existing. Right. I was just
2: there are thinking too many. that too. Cupcakes are awesome, Rich.
1: I think I spent m- a lot more time in San Francisco than you did and I'm freaking sick of them.
0: I spent <laughs> 5 hours in the airport there. That's my time in San Francisco.
2: I spent about two hours in San Francisco on my way through back up to Seattle.
1: Just learn how to make your own damn cupcakes. They're so easy. Anyway, the underdogs themselves were a four piece of Dave Whitehouse on bass, Tony Rumel on lead guitar, Chris Lena on rhythm guitar, and Michael Morgan on drums and all four on vocals because they're versatile like that. The Hideout Club briefly had its own record label, actually, that issued the band's local breakout hit, Man in the Glass, which had lyrics that were taken directly from an Alcoholics Anonymous poem, which people weren't fond of when they found that out. Oops. Um, Yeah, they were then reportedly the first white band that was ever signed to Motown. Uh, Like, Barry Gordy tracked them down. But their first and only single, this one, a Holland, Dozier, Holland song that was originally recorded by Chris Clark. Uh, It didn't go very far, and they eventually broke up. Though they also have a pretty good cover of The Way You Do the Things You Do, uh, recorded by The Temptations, in its more famous version. Ah,
0: The Temptations!
1: Anyway, I like this cover, though it has a a lot to live up to, because uh, honestly, uh, Love's Gone Mad, the Chris Clark version, might be my favorite Motown song, or at least it's what I say my favorite Motown song is when I don't just want to say nowhere to run like everyone else. Um, But I do like kind of how like just nervy it is. Uh, It kind of reminds me of a lot of different bands that came later. Like I hear some Roxy music in this. I hear some talking heads like Psycho Killer. And I especially hear a lot of Jonathan Richmond and their approach. So it's a pretty good cover. Uh, It's just, you know, it can't really compare to the original, which uh, or to the Chris Clark recording, which I really love.
0: So the best Motown song is clearly You Can't Hurry, Love.
2: No, the best Motown song is Ain't Too Proud to Beg.
0: Well,
1: we'll have to fight. We'll undoubtedly cover some Motown on This Is Comp, and we can fight then.
0: But yeah, like, in terms of, like, this recording of this song, it really falls into the the category of, like, I'm gonna say this a lot on this set, so, uh, apologies in advance, but, like, this is a fine cover, I enjoyed listening to it, it's a lot of garage rock, and I'm kinda done. Phil, like,
1: get out of this episode. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding.
0: it's solid. I no, we love like having you here. This is the point where I just like don't have as much to say because, like, after four discs, it's like all this nugget stuff is great. I enjoy all of it, but I'm really racking my brain trying to come up with new stuff to say.
1: Well, we'll co- we'll cover every Dix picks collection next. How about that?
0: Oh man, that's gonna be so awesome. Wait till you hear my top
1: fifty dark stars.
2: Yeah, this is where I get off.
1: Amanda, what about you? <laughs>
2: Well, it has a nice baseline. I like the overdone vocal histrionics. You know, they're they're nicely over the top. Uh, I did notice it's a sparser arrangement than most of the nuggets, which I like, because everything just has a little bit more space. It's easier to tell what's going on. Uh, other than that, I don't know. It's a little clumsy, but it's good. I and mean, that's garage rock in general. It's
0: a little clumsy, but it's good.
2: Yeah.
1: And my wife will make you guys some awesome cupcakes at one point that are better than you'll find at any overpriced. Cupcake shop and like some just hipster urban enclave. Just ugh, Cupcake shops.
0: So I don't actually like cupcakes that much because I don't really like frosting. They get in the way of the cake. I want the cake.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. And also, is Jen aware that she has made this extremely generous offer?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, she has.
2: I am ex- All right.
0: I'm expecting cupcakes in the mail next
1: week. Yeah, same. I'll let her know. With that, let's go on to track 26. The Standells, why pick on me? Why not? pick on me by the standells so the standells are our only repeat band of this set and once again i must think back on that grievous journalistic error i committed in in the first episode where i said the standells only had one song and then it turned out they had another song uh sometimes good guys don't wear white and now they have a third song i'm sorry both of you i'm gonna be tendering my resignation right after this episode is over
2: yeah that is unforgivable rich i like this one I always wondered,
0: like, if the Standells are a better band than being on Nuggets would suggest, because all three of their songs on Nuggets, I think, are really good. Mm -hmm. I'd always like, you know, sometimes good guys don't wear white because, you know, Minor Threat covered that. If you have, you know, the Minor Threat complete discography album, which you definitely should, because it's great. This one's fun. It stands out. It um, has a different kind of melody. It's creative. It's kind of goofy. But, like, it's fun. It's memorable. They're doing something different here. It's the kind of thing that between these three songs, like that the Standells have had on Nuggets, it makes me want to track down like an actual Standells album, which I'm assuming, like most Nuggets albums, it's going to be disappointing. But I think all three of their songs on this set are excellent.
2: Yeah, three for three is really, really good. They're better than the Shadows of Night. Ooh, Shadows of Night. Yeah.
0: Oh
1: yeah. Everything (laughs) gonna be all right. So, who do you like more, Amanda, the Shadows of Night or the Sonics?
2: Oh. Uh, well, the shadows of night shadows of night are kind of annoying, but they don't make me want to stab somebody like the Sonics do. So I'm going to give this one to the shadows of night. What's the I mostly just
1: wanted something in here that annoyed Mike when he listens to it. So
0: what's the shadows of night's take on chili dogs? Because I know Sonic is very pro chili dog.
1: Wow. <laughs> so the standells uh what do you think of this one amanda
2: oh my goodness that intro is great and then in my notes i wrote that it morphs into paint it black and then rich you came in behind me and said no it's actually mother's little helper and you are absolutely neither
1: correct. of you are wrong it's true not th- not that there's a huge difference between the no. two mother's little helper is definitely just kind of the same genre of stone song
2: it's true and if i kept thinking okay it sounds like paint it black but there's something else that it sounds more like and i just couldn't quite put my finger on it so thank you for making that connection for me uh, and then there's you know that weird organ effect in the solo that sounds like little green aliens, which I really really like. I just I think this song is great.
1: Yeah, I like this one a lot too. I was I was actually reading about Paint It Black, and apparently in the original arrangement, Mick Jagger was comparing it to like Jewish wedding music uh, before it got changed into the song it was. And I I feel like huh. at least the verses of this song um kind of fall into that category, and I really like it.
0: Yeah, that seems fair. Makes sense.
1: Okay, let's go on to track 27. This is the Zachary Thax with Bad Girl. Zachary Thacks were from Corpus Christi, Texas. Bad Girl was released locally in July 1966 and nationally in October 1966. And the B side was a cover of I Need You by the Kinks, which we heard covered right. by the Rationals last time. I don't know if you've heard this, but power chords are really, really easy to play.
2: Well, what do you know?
1: <laughs> the Thacks were originally the Marauders and then the Riptides before they decided to adopt a name that practically begs you to follow up with, Don't talk back. Is that going to be Thack? But according to vocalist Chris Gerniotis, it came from a name he saw in a teen magazine's letter to the editor section, which makes me wonder if the real Zachary Thack was ever aware of the band and said, hey, that's my name.
2: It's like Gwen Dibley's Flying Circus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the Thacks fashioned themselves after British invasion groups like the Stones and the Yardbirds like so many people did, but uh, to the point where they actually had long bobs and mod clothes, which apparently they literally bought from a Corpus Christi store called The Mod Shop. So it was a big thing then. Besides Jerniotis, the Thacks consisted of Pete Stinson on rhythm guitar, Rex Gregory on bass, and Stan Moore on drums, and they were signed by local J. Beck Records after an appearance at a local Battle of the Bands, which is a very Nuggets way to start your career. Other than that, they followed the standard Nuggets story of just not being able to follow up their minor hit with a bigger hit. And apparently the master tapes of the original session that produced Bad Girl were lost in a flood. and. Oh. After the recent revelations about Universal Music Group and their master tapes being lost in a fire, it's really, really dawning on me that music preservation isn't something that just happens by itself.
0: If any listeners that haven't heard about the Universal Music Group's fire, like just Google Universal Music Group fire. Like there was an article in the New York Times about it, and it's profoundly depressing.
2: It is. It's horrible.
1: So what do you think, Amanda?
2: Well, the drums and the guitar are pretty great. But the vocal doesn't really live up to it. There's just not enough personality and definitely not enough energy. So there's like this weird mismatch, but it's really close to being great.
1: Yeah, I like the guitar a lot, too. It kind of reminds me of like the Velvet Underground or something. I don't know if it's tuned the same way that they do. I don't really have an ear for that, but it does just sort of remind me of, say, like What Goes On or something.
2: I wouldn't
0: know. Phil? It's a fun, energetic garage rock song. Rich? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Phil, you are adding no value to this episode. (laughs) Do I
1: ever? (laughs) Of course you do. Well, Phil, tell us about Bob Drake.
0: Ah, Bob Drake, uh, Avant Garde musician. The guy with the
2: skunk song.
1: He is the
0: skunk song guy. Maybe (laughs) in a future episode, I'll give you more details.
2: Oh boy.
1: Okay. Well, uh, in that case, let's go on to track twenty-eight. This is "Blackout of Gretalee" by the band Gone, which is spelled G-O-N-N, all capital letters.
2: Does it stand for anything?
0: Not that I could find.
2: The universe is
0: permeated
1: with the odor
0: of kerosene. out of Greedily by gone is kind of considered to be a garage rock classic it's kind of been unearthed and a lot of people really like this one it came out in 1966 and really made very little impression at the time it was basically the band's only single um, they recorded another single but it didn't get released until years later and then they kind of disappeared for years until people rediscovered this they found out hey we have fans and they did a reunion tour but these guys are from Keokuk, iowa the state's southernmost city uh, they basically had a reputation for being very loud, and these days they are known because they performed in front of a gigantic Nazi swastika flag. <laughs> Ooh. Which, uh, yeah.
2: That's, that's not great.
0: So, frontman Craig Moore gave an interview where he said, uh, this is reading from his interview, The only thing the swastika meant to me was Hell's Angels, who existed in the far-off lands of California— I don't remember any reaction to it at all until I hung it up right underneath a crucifix at the Catholic Teen Center dance. Oh. The priest came in, he had a European background, so I imagine he'd suffered under the Nazis, and he just exploded. I ended up chasing him around the building. Father, Father, I'm so sorry. He woke me up to the fact that the flag represented something that maybe a biker wearing an iron cross doesn't.
2: Yeah, I am calling shenanigans.
1: Wasn't that a scene in Death to Smoochie? Basically. A movie I've seen.
2: That how, 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 do you, even if you're from Iowa, because Iowans are not stupid, how do you get into the 60s not knowing what a swastika is? So these guys were either
0: really grossly uninformed, or they were just trying to be shocking.
2: They're full of Yeah. Shit. Honestly, I'm just going to come right out and say it. There's, this is all a lie. I believe that they hung it up under the crucifix at the Catholic Teen Center, but I do not believe they didn't know what they were doing.
0: I believe that they were just trying to be shocking. It's the kind of thing, I would give less leeway to a band that did this, like, now, given the somewhat upsetting resurgence of Nazis in modern culture.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm, yeah, hooray, ironic racism, we can see where that got us.
2: They they sound like a bunch of young dipshits, and that's, uh,
1: But, yeah, the
0: band did this, they traveled around from show to show in a hearse, just like the Ghostbusters-
2: okay that I can get behind.
1: Did they have
0: proton packs? I I would assume not but <laughs> Fine. but yeah it, it's clearly a band like just trying to be shocking in a way that like you know people like Sid vicious like would like later in the 70s as f- that's the most that's the most noteworthy thing about them is just their image in terms of music this is basically dirty water by the standals yeah. J- just like cranked up to 11 uh it's solid. I really like, you know, the way this sounds. It's one of the longer nuggets, like, and it doesn't get boring. Mm -hmm. Like, this band had a lot of energy. It's interesting to think about what would have happened to them had they managed to stick around, rather than basically recording this and then disappearing forever. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But it's not so interesting that I'm, like, staying up at night, thinking like, what if Gone had stuck around?
1: (laughs) What What bands do you think about that keep you up at night?
0: Uh... I think about Four Squirrels, a 90s like alternative band that had like a couple of really great songs, and then half the band died in a bus accident. Wow. Yeah, but they were really good.
2: Are they different from The Squirrel Nut no Zippers?
0: They are very different. They sound a lot like <laughs> R.E.M.
2: Wow. As far as the actual song, I kind of really love it. The intro is super, aside from that Sonic-style screech, which I just hate. And of course, they repeat it later on. But that guitar line is fantastic. And the, the drums are a little bit clumsy, but they're great for what they are. And like Phil said, this is really long for a nugget, but that is just fine. I am perfectly happy listening to that guitar phrase repeat itself over and over.
1: Well, so have you read the lyrics to this song, either of you? I
2: have not.
1: Don't worry, they have nothing to do with Nazis. It's just a dumb joke. It's kind of funny actually. Like oh. it's a it's a so it's a guy walking down the basically it's a guy walking down the street and like wondering why he can't see like all of the um any of the street light. And he assumes that there's like a blackout, and uh, he says like it was as dark as there could be, a deep sea diver could not see, cars were driving with high beam, you couldn't even tell if Mr. Clean was clean. <laughs> I guess, I guess Mr. Clean walked by him and he was like, <laughs>
0: this was before he made his uh, star turn on the cover of a question of balance by the Moody Blues.
1: <laughs> anyway, so the final, so the final verse, I lit a match and I walked on home, my nightside, dark time, cold and alone, walked in my door and to my surprise, I had sunglasses on my eyes.
2: Oh, okay. he was wearing
1: his sunglasses at night and that's why he couldn't see. <laughs> was it because he wanted to keep track of the visions in his dreams? Probably, yeah. <laughs> oh, he just forgot about it.
2: Now we know who to blame for that song.
1: Yeah. As for the song itself, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really know it existed. Honestly, I never really got this far on Nuggets when I originally bought it, and I was pleasantly surprised to find this so four minute. Yeah, this is like epic length by by Nugget okay. standards. Song that just completely just i don't really know what to make of it and yeah but i love the lyrics and it's just <laughs> i love that it's uh, i love that it's called blackout of grudley i love that it's by a band called gone in all caps i don't love the nazi imagery but four
0: not. minutes that's like the tales from topographic oceans of nuggets
2: yeah yeah like, this is practically lark's tongues and aspic part
1: part one
0: yeah i'm done i'm <laughs> done
1: Well, let's move on to one of the shortest songs on Nuggets. This is The Bees, voices green and purple.
0: Not the bees! Not the bees!
1: I mean, ouch. The bee bit my bottom. Now my bottom's big. All
0: right. The bees. I
2: hate you both.
0: One of the most mysterious bands on Nuggets. Like, in the actual Nuggets liner notes, they don't even really know who's in the band. My research into this, which consisted of a bunch of Googling, uh, per, like gave me some more information, but I couldn't really find any primary sources or interviews with the bands or anything like that. So... Anything I tell you in this, like, take it with a grain of salt, because, like, I could find no primary sources or anything from a, quote, respectable outlet. What I can tell you for sure is uh, that this came out in 1966. Uh, the band came from Covina, California, a town I had never heard of. But then I did, in fact, watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, starting which was in West Covina, California. West Covina. <laughs> so I kind of know about that. So... While doing my research, I, you know, one of of our tricks to let, you know, the listeners, you know, at home behind the curtain is we'll often search for, you know, the name of the band and their hometown, and we'll find interviews and stuff like that, you know, about the band. So when I searched for Bees and Covina, I found two things. I found a place called Bee Busters that advertise and they can get rid of all the bees on your property for as little as $150. And I found a kid from West Covina who was going to the script Spelling Bee. Aww. So, you know, not much information about these. Did they take the b Mobile? You mean my Chevy?
1: <laughs> so <laughs> many bee jokes on The Simpsons. I'm sorry, Amanda. I suck. We haven't even talked about Bumblebee Man yet.
0: So, I found a blog, basically that said that the band consisted of three 16-year-olds, Robbie Wood, Gary Briggs, and Al Singer, who were approached by some guy named Tom Wilsey and asked the kids if they would write a couple of originals, then he'd put together a recording session and make them a star, which, you know, they, they did not make them stars.
2: Yeah, that sounds legit.
0: So Wilsey gave the singer, you know, Robbie Wood, the task of writing a song about a drug, drug trip gone bad. Wood sat down and he came up with voices green and purple.
2: He asked a 16-year-old to write a song about a drug trip gone bad?
0: Indeed he did, according to this article I found. Okay. There, I have no information about if it was based on experience or if he just wrote it based on, you know, what he thought a bad drug trip would be like. There's shockingly little information.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll get to this later, but this does kind of sound like a 16-year-old's idea of a bad drug trip.
0: So the band slapped this out along with a B-side called Trip to New Orleans. And that is, as far as anybody knows, the entirety of this band's discography. That's all anybody knows. There's no interviews with them. There's no information. If you know anything, if any of our listeners happen to know the story of the bees, like any kind of, like, into like, who these guys are, like, what they've been up to, please email us or send us something on Twitter. I really want to know, because I find this band fascinating. The song was released on, quote, Liverpool Records. Uh... Which was uh, Tom Wilson's record label, which uh, they were trying very hard, I guess, to uh, tie themselves in with the Beatles. Good try. The Sleeve also informed us that uh, with this song that, quote, for best results, listen to this in total darkness. (laughs) Hell yeah, bees. So as for the song itself, like this is one of the more interesting songs on Nuggets because it's completely amateurish. Mm -hmm. It's clear that these guys don't really know what they're doing. In that sense, like for the garage rock punk aesthetic, it's kind of one of the best songs on Nuggets. Yeah, It's an absolute mess. It just drives ahead. It goes into like a screaming middle section. It's so weird. It's so clearly not the result of a professional. But in a way, it's like weirdly ahead of its time. You could hear like bands later, like kind of trying to imitate this sound, if probably not this exact song, because very few people knew this song. It doesn't sound like it came out in 1966. It's got a kind of aggression that people would later associate with the punk movement. So this is probably one of my favorite songs on Nuggets. It's a short blast of like crazy kid amateur energy, and it's a lot of fun.
2: Wow, you've just kind of reframed my entire perspective on this, because I, I didn't realize this was done by actual teenagers, but I should have, because it's all really clunky. But y- you make a really good point about this really sort of embodying the Nuggets aesthetic, and suddenly I like it a whole lot more than I did 10 minutes ago.
1: <laughs> well, this is one of those cases where it just seems like another Nugget, and then it has, but then you realize that this hadn't really been done before, like... The Yardbirds were famous for their rave-ups to the point where they actually had an album called Having a Rave-up with the Yardbirds. Uh, but in their cases like the rave-ups were, you know, the instrumental section. And in this case these guys just made it the chorus. Nobody did that had done that before, just this like freak out with this with these chords going up and down and a guy yelling and Yeah, there's uh, like
0: there's no traditional melody in this chorus. It's just guitars making noise and a guy yelling.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus. Then the song is out. It's it's a minute and a half long. It's like, the uh, uh, I don't know. Like there's there's just so much punk energy to it, even though there wasn't any punk yet. So uh, that's kind of the that's kind of the direction from which I approach the song. I think it's really cool.
0: Apparently, there were only a few hundred copies of this ever pressed, and there's no identification or information on it other than that it's by the Bees. So. Like, original copies of this are, like, very rare. This is one of the most in-demand, like, vinyl 45s among collectors because the song is really famous amongst, like, you know, hardcore garage rock aficionados, but, like, it just had such a limited pressing, like, a small number released in a very small area.
2: Hmm.
0: Like, and if you ever look at the cover, it does not look professionally made. It looks like something somebody slapped together in two seconds and, like, sold out of
1: their garage
2: probably exactly what happened pretty much plus they've got to be noisy
1: because no noise suggests no bees <laughs> thank you rich
2: <laughs> i quit
1: <laughs> okay now that amanda's quit let's go on to the final track of nuggets we're on, we're there this is track 30 davy allen and the arrows blues theme which is not the theme from blues clues
0: Start that lawnmower, Davy Allen.
1: What a way to go
2: out. Right. Blues theme, released in 1966 as the opening theme to the biker film The Wild Angels. Uh, Davy Allen and the Arrows were from the San Fernando Valley in California, and they weren't so much a band as Davy Allen and whatever other people he felt like calling the Arrows that day. Davy Allen taught himself how to play the guitar and then teamed up with his friend Mike Kerb to play instrumental surf music like The Ventures. Mike Kerb then founded Sidewalk Records in 1964 and signed what eventually became the Arrows to a record deal. Uh, Mike Kerb also got a contract to provide the soundtracks for director Roger Corman's films, after Davy Allen played on the soundtrack for a short film called Skater Dater. All one word. So Davy Allen recorded around 14 albums in total and a whole bunch of singles and several more movie soundtracks, but he's mostly remembered for popularizing the fuzz guitar. He pushed that fuzz sound just about as far as it could go at that time and ended up with that really distinctive buzzing noise. Blue's theme, uh, like I said, comes from a movie called The Wild Angels, an outlaw biker film by Roger Corman, starring Peter Fonda and Nancy Sinatra. This was apparently the start of the biker film genre that continued well into the 70s, and it apparently featured actual Hells Angels as extras, because when has that ever gone wrong, hiring the Hells Angels to do things? I have no idea if the film is any good or not, but the song sure is. I've seen the film. Have you?
0: I can tell you that it is fine.
2: All right. It's very good to know. As for the song, I mean, that guitar sound is cool. And it's not terribly involved as a composition. It's just that super awesome fuzzy guitar line on top of a good rhythm section, but it's such a good melody. And apparently it's been accused of being a copy of Last Train to Clarksville, but this came out first. So if anything, it might be the other way around. But whatever happened, what a cool track to top off Nuggets with. Phil, what do you think? It's fun.
0: It's a cool little instrumental. It's pretty repetitive. Doesn't do much interesting. But, like, it's a cool little riff. I love the way it sounds. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I got no complaints. It's, like, I'm not expecting, like, amazing, like, instrumental complexities from Nuggets. Especially not Nuggets that were written as, like, instrumental themes to Roger Corman
1: movies. This one's really cool. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, it's the only instrumental on Nuggets, right? I can't think of any others.
0: Yep, I think it might be the only instrumental even accounting for all the other Nuggets box sets. I mean, wow. I could be wrong, but I think it's the only one.
1: Yeah, and with the uh, and with the motorcycle noises, it kind of sounds like the, the compilation is revving up and just driving off into the sunset. Although
0: yeah. I, I, I grew up in, like, you know, the country, so I immediately just think it's lawnmowers.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That makes it sound much less cool.
1: <laughs> well, so are we finally 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 done? I think we're done, baby. I think so. That's the end of Nuggets. Man, oh, I feel there's... like I know the inside wow. of every garage in America.
2: Oh, I feel suddenly bereft with no more nuggets.
0: There's no more nuggets unless we cover Nuggets 2 or Children of Nuggets or and
2: We'll cover Nuggets 2 eventually. Other nuggets. For, for now, what comp are we
1: gonna do next? Oh wait, Hark. I hear a call from the distance. Yes. That's right. After four discs of garage rock, we need something soothing and relaxing. So we're going to do the 1997 edition of the New Age compilation, Pure Moods.
0: Sail away, sail away, sail away. Boom.
1: And if you grew up in the '90s, a nostalgic chill just went just went down your back because you saw that commercial on TV about 800 times.
0: You're you're picturing, picturing like song titles, like you know, scrolling down a screen. Occasionally, one of them will be in yellow.
1: Yeah, and the, and at one point, there's a weird dance remix of the X Files theme.
0: Getting all these tracks on individual CDs would cost you well north of $500. But
1: <laughs> so we're going to be doing a, a few shorter compilations because that one was so long and. Wow. It was just so much garage rock. I mean, I had a fun time. I learned a lot, but yeah, we need to do some just, right. you know, one and dones before we go back to another big box set. Right. We got to right. mix this it was up.
2: This was really, really fun. And thanks to all of you for sticking with us through all of the nuggets. We had a great time and we sure hope you did too.
0: Yep. All the nuggets, like the nuggets sets, like if I can give some like, you know, just general closing thoughts on the nuggets box. It's a great box. Like there's songs on it that suck clearly there's lots of songs on it that suck but the whole Tim thing Valley. is just such a great like time capsule and the whole thing is so fun even if you think you're not interested like or there's bad songs or whatever like this is all worth like hearing at least once it's just a lot of fun
1: and as we've said a few times throughout this series we'll eventually get to nuggets 2 where the songs generally sound different from one another
0: <laughs> yeah nuggets 2 is in my opinion a considerably superior compilation much less repetitive, much more interesting.
2: There's a lot more variety.
0: Perhaps less thematically consistent, but a lot more
1: interesting musically. But we'll get Mm -hmm. there. Well, let us roll some credits. We're done with nuggets. Yay! Woo! Yay! What do you call Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, part of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. Our opening theme is performed by the Hector Collectors, and you can find more of their music at thehectorcollectors.bandcamp.com. The closing theme you're hearing right now is performed by the most excellent Kenneth Crailey, and you can find his own music at Kenneth Crayley, that's K-R-A-Y-L-I-E.bandcamp.com, and his band Casinos at casinos.bandcamp.com. Music for the theme was originally composed by Andy Partridge of XTC, and the new lyrics are by Adam Smith of the Hector Collectors. Visit our website, discordpod.com, for more info about the show and a list of upcoming episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at DiscordPod, follow me at Zonetrope, follow Amanda at magneticink 67 and follow Phil at P.A. Maddox. See you for the next compilation, and be ever wonderful.
2: The Sonics are garbage.
1: (laughs) This was Comp.